love it. So as I was preparing this word, um, I, I, got, I got this word, I started on this about two months ago. Um, and I've just been praying and asking, Lord, when's the time? Where's the space? And um, now's it. Now's it. God, we just ask that um, as we step into your word, Lord, you would give me your words and your words alone. Lord, I ask that you would crucify me in this moment. That no part of me would come out. But every word that's spoken would be from you and you alone. Amen. Um, So we're going to start with reading in Deuteronomy. Um, You will have homework after this, so take notes. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I have commanded you shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk with them when you... With, You shall talk of them when you sit in your home and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your home and on your gates. This uh, passage in Deuteronomy is called the Shema. That's what the word is for this passage. And it comes from the first word in the statement, hear. So Shema means, it's Hebrew for hear or listen. And so the Shema is something that the Lord has given us to pass on from generation to generation, right? There's, we see this generational passing down um, where he says, teach them diligently to your children. When you sit in your home, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, what is that? That's everything, right? Everything in us, we're supposed to dwell on the commands, the words that I commanded you today. That's the word that he says. The words that I commanded you today. This is what you're supposed to to walk as you walk, as you sit, as you lay down. Everything that you do in your life should surround and be dictated by this passage. Just what the word says. But sometimes we... Just We read it and we're like, okay, so the Lord our God, the Lord is one, love the Lord with all, you, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. We hear those things and we think that's the collective of what we're supposed to be dwelling on as we walk, as we sit, as we do everything. Well, that's not actually the way it works. Um, so there's this cool thing in the Bible called other verses that are right next to it. Um, and sometimes we miss those. Sometimes we get at a point where we look at a verse and we take it and we just read that section. So the Shema is something that we have to read a little bit before to understand what he's talking about. Because we just hear this little bit and we think we have context. Context is chapter 4 and chapter 5. And chapter 4 and chapter 5 give us what he's telling us we need to dwell on as we sit, as we stand, as we walk, as we lay down, as we rise up, as we go through our doors. All of these things we can see when we jump into four and five. 
here's the homework. I'm not going to tell you all that four and five says. Read it. It ain't hard. It's two chapters. It'll take you 10 minutes, okay? So when you leave here, your homework is read chapter four, read chapter five. I'll give you a hint. Chapter five is the 10 commandments. There's, There's law, the law that the Lord is laying in and the things that he says we're supposed to function in and dwell in. That's what he's talking about in here. And some of you might be very familiar with part of the passage, because part of the passage is quoted by Jesus. Sometimes we get in a space where we hear something and we're like, yeah, it's, I heard it one time. The Bible quotes itself so often and so frequently. And too many times we don't make those connections of what's being quoted. And when we do that, when we disconnect Old Testament and New Testament, guess what happens? We get a partial view of what God has already laid out for us. We have to make connections in between old and new. So let's make a connection. In Matthew 22 and in Mark 12. I'm going to read for you Mark 12 because this is both the same experience. Um, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeking that he answered them well. He asked him, which command is the most important of all? Important, Jesus answered. If Jesus says this is the most important, we should pay attention, right? If Jesus says this is important, let us take hold of that and not say, okay, Jesus said it's important. That's cool. Let's move on. No, Jesus said it's important. This should be a foundational point for us, something that we take and hold on deeply to. So the most important is, hear, O Israel. Sounds familiar. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Did you guys hear that? So Jesus, in this moment, just quoted Deuteronomy. All right? And in, like, first century Jews, this is, they would know, know that they know that they know. Anytime someone quotes the beginning of a verse, that verse is automatically recognized by the Jews. They, they memorize the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. You're a man of, 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 the, of the Torah, is what they say, that the Jews would memorize this. So they knew this. Deuteronomy is in the first five books. So they knew. The response was, oh yeah, oh, you've answered correctly. Because they knew, okay, Jesus is quoting something Old Testament, and it has significance for us now. That's what we're doing right now. There's some, something significant. So all of the Jews in that space, when they hear him say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, immediately they go back and they say, oh, this is Deuteronomy. They wouldn't have, you know, book, chapter, verse like we do. That was something that we added a little bit later. But they knew that this included the commandments from verse five or from chapter five and from chapter four. We have laws and commands that are given to us. So, um, this is also where we get our pillars, love God, love people, embrace excellence, and make a difference. That's where we function from, that we're supposed to love God. That's what he says there, love God and then love people. And in that space of loving God, that means if we love God, when we love God, we live out chapter four and chapter five of Deuteronomy. Make sense? Right? Seeing the connection? Pretty easy, right? It's not too hard. Sometimes we, get, we, we feel like it's difficult to make connections. There's this cool thing in the bottom of your Bible 
that has these little numbers and it says, hey, this is connects. And then you flip over and you're like, oh, look at that. It connects there. It's, it's wild. If you have questions about that, ask me after. I can teach you everything. Not everything. I'm not that smart. <laughs> Let me preface that. <laughs> I got a little bit. Um, but I'll teach you everything I know. So the Jews took these guidelines very seriously. All right. Deuteronomy chapter six, um, when he makes the statement in verse eight and verse nine, he says, you shall bind them as signs on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you write them on your doorposts. They did these things literally. I've got some pictures um, that I, wanna, I want to show you. This is their, them, yeah, they still, this, yeah, this is a current practice. This is something they've done and they still do. And it gives us this understanding. What, what they're doing here is making a physical representation of a, of a spiritual truth that God gave us in his word. Um, I've been trying to remember how to pronounce the word of what these things are. I can't do it, so I'm just gonna pass. There's a word um, that describes what these are, but these are small leather boxes that hold the Shema. And for them, when they wrap these on every morning, they wrap these on their arm, they wrap these on their forehead, and they do this so that they remember Deuteronomy chapter four, chapter five, in chapter six, that they remember what they're supposed to do. So this is a physical representation of of something that doesn't have to be as physical. What we're called to do with this um, is very important. God is letting us know um, that these, this is something that God wants us to have in our minds and then outflow into our actions. When he says that we need to bind these as a sign on our hands, these are specifically saying that the actions that we follow through with and the things that that we dwell on need to be geared towards Christ. Right? That sounds pretty basic. This passage is meant to point us to an internal reality that flows out into our actions. So now I want to shift a little. And you guys are going to be like, Caleb, where are we going? Because we're about to jump into Revelation. Don't worry. Um, oh, and the, there's one other picture I forgot to mention. These, they put on their doorposts. That way that when they walk out of their house, they touch those. Why? So that they remember there's this thing that should be an internal reality that has an outflowing into my actions. Um, so, When we take the full counsel of God, and we take Old Testament and New Testament, and we start bringing things together and making connections, not not reaching connections, just basic connections, we start to understand things. And so there's a a, a book in the Bible, super easily misunderstood, um, but when we take the context of Old and New Testament, it helps us understand what's going on. Anybody want to take a quick guess at what that book is? Real easy to misunderstand. Anybody? Revelation. Let's go, baby. So let's jump into the book of Revelation. And some of you might be like, Caleb, you're in over your head. I'm always in over my head. The only thing that keeps me afloat is this. So Revelation. Um, This is chapter 13, 16 through 18. Also, it causes causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on their right hand and on their forehead, 
so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of man and his number is six, six, six. Man, y'all didn't expect we were jumping into the mark of the beast today, but let's do it. Um, So I wanna give some context because without context, we lose our understanding of what God's trying to communicate, right? Context makes everything a lot clearer. First one, Revelation is written as a book of encouragement to the early church, the most, one of the most violently persecuted churches in history. All right, Revelation, written as encouragement. Encouragement. What does that mean? If it's written as a letter of encouragement, it should not strike fear into your heart. So Revelation has, has, there's no reason that you read Revelation and that it strikes fear. That's not the way that it's meant uh, to be read because Revelation is written in apocalyptic literature. That's the style of literature that it is. So every book in the Bible is written in a different form of literary style. We have history, we have law, we have all of these different things. Revelation and part of Daniel's written in what's called apocalyptic literature, which has a meaning. It means that it uses imagery to provoke something inside of us, right? So the book of Revelation gives images that provoke us in a way that it brings this reaction out of us, something out of us. But here's the thing. Was this written to a 21st century North American? Nope. Who was it written to? Was it written to a persecuted first century Jewish religion? Woo. Wait a second. That's different from the way that I usually read it. So it's written with imagery to provoke something inside of us. John, the person who wrote this, and his audience were mostly converted Jews, mostly. So the vast majority of the people receiving this letter are converted Jews. What does that mean for us? It means that they have already memorized the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They know these which means when we hear a statement that says this mark is on their hand or their forehead, it's automatically gonna make a connection for them. For us, it doesn't. Because sometimes we get in a place where we think we know something, but we haven't studied it entirely. Study the whole book, I promise you. By the time that you die and stand before Jesus, you'll know the whole thing because then you're before Jesus and he'll, he'll teach you. But in this life, just keep opening it. Even if you don't understand it, even if it's not making sense right now, keep going here. Keep going back again and again and again, and you will get smarter and smarter. I did not overnight, like just wake up and I was like, man, I read the Bible one time, I'm good. I'm standing behind the pulpit. No, I went to classes and I studied and I studied. Please, church, study. You will not survive on Sunday morning alone. Just be real. Um, So, Revelation. God is helping us understand our enemy and how the enemy works. Um, So Revelation, the Mark, has this very similar statement to Deuteronomy, Matthew, and Mark. All of them are connected, okay? We have connections here. Um, Professor G.K. Beale says it this way. He says that the forehead represents ideological commitment and the hand, the practical outworking of that commitment. 
what up here and what comes out here. That's what's going on in this space. So the mark is an internal character made manifest in behavior. Now the question is, what type of character is the character of the beast? Let's just do some math. This is... Sometimes we think it's so hard. A little bit of study can point us in a, in a lot of good directions. So there's three things, three numbers we have to understand, right? The mark is six, six, six. There's three numbers that help us understand what this means. The first one is the number seven. What does seven communicate to us? Seven is a word, is a number of fullness, completeness, or perfection. Fullness, completeness, or perfection. The number six is one shy of seven, and it signifies significant apologies. It signifies imperfection. So seven is fullness, completeness, perfection. Six is incompleteness or imperfection. Now we have three sixes. So let's look at three, because I mean, this might be important too, right? If there's three sixes, let's just, let's look at what those numbers mean. Three is a number very similar to seven that means um, completeness or perfection. Those words are slightly interchangeable in that space. So if we have three sixes, what do you think that means? It means it's completely imperfect. It means that the mark is a space of complete imperfection in the way that we think and in the way that we act. Listen, the mark isn't something that's coming in the future. The mark is something that has been here. It's been here, okay? It's the way that our mind and our actions flow out. We have to be aware of this because culture wants us to be completely imperfect in the way that we function. And culture says, let your heart be your guide. I'm sorry, but the heart's not the guide. This is. This is what's gonna lead us in those ways. But if we don't know it, we can't live according to its standards. Is this connecting? Do you see this? It's not hard. But too often we get in this space where it's intimidating. And I don't know if I wanna dive into that. Dive into it. Be intimidated. It's okay. I'm intimidated every time I open it because I realize I'm not as smart as I want to be. I'm not as smart as I need to be. I'm not as smart as I should be. No, no, not should. Listen, just open it, read it. Open it and read it. And don't let the enemy let you live in shame and doubt. Please don't. Open the word and dive into it. So the mark is not a physical, literal thing. It is not a tattoo or a chip. It is not a vaccine. Let's just be clear. Those are not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is the opposite of what Deuteronomy chapter six is talking about. All right? It's this flowing out in behavior. That's what's happening. We have to get in that space of looking at God's word in in the totality of scripture. So C.S. Lewis wrote this book. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. He wrote this book called Screwtape Letters. Anybody ever read Screwtape Letters? Yeah, there's like six of us. Let's go. Come on, Sherry. I know you did. So Screwtape Letters is written from the perspective of 
a senior demon to his nephew demon and it's written from this perspective of them try, him trying to say, hey, this is how you best lead them astray. So it's written in this weird perspective from the opposite side of what we would normally want to read, right? It's written from the enemy's perspective. Um, and the way he says it, C.S. Lewis just does a really good job of communicating. He's just a great communicator. If you've never read any of his books, read all of them. Um, so... There's a quote in here that I think is really important and gives a lot of life to the way that we're, it it just helps us look and say, okay, what is the enemy's plot against us, right? Because we we need to know what Deuteronomy says. We need to know what Revelation says. We need to know what God wants us to do. And God's also giving us a game plan for the enemy. Don't, Don't dwell too long on the enemy. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But what I am telling you to do is learn this, this book was written for us to be able to get a, a perspective on the opposite side. So he says this, he says, let him do anything but act. Remember, this is demon to demon. This isn't anything good to anything good. This is the opposite. This is what the enemy wants for us. Let him do anything but act. No amount of piety in his imagination or affections will harm us if we can keep it out of his will. As one, one human has said, Active habits are strengthened by repetition, but passive ones are weakened. The, most, the more often he feels without acting, the less he will ever be able to act. The long, and in the long run, the less he will ever be able to feel. The enemy wants us to take something and let it get here. He wants you to walk out of this building and let it sit here and never make it into your hands. That's what the enemy wants. So if that's what the enemy's shooting for, to get it out of our hands, what C.S. Lewis is trying to say here is feelings are cheap. Feelings are cheap. Some of us have this thing where we say, oh, I have such a heart for God. But if you don't ever do anything, if you don't ever read the word, if you don't pray, I'm sorry to tell you, you do not have a heart for God. If it doesn't make it here, That is not a heart for God. That is a sterilized seed that the Lord planted and you didn't let grow. Because the the seed that's planted in us of salvation isn't one that sits and grows and it just sits here. If it's not here, these are the branches. If these aren't moving, it's not growing. Okay? So understanding the enemy, it's okay for us to have feelings as long as we don't convert them into actions. This is what the enemy wants us to do. To feel, 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 but don't convert it. Don't let it actually be something that you do with your hands. Don't let it actually be something where you look at the poor and say, I'm gonna help and I'm gonna actually do with this. It's, it has to go from here to here. It has to go from here to here. If it doesn't, we are lost. James chapter 2, verse 26, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. All of this runs together. All of it runs together. Faith without works. That means 
our mindsets, our thought processes without works, without action behind it, if it's not converted, it is dead. So this just reiterates what C.S. Lewis said and what all of the other Bible says. I mean, just read the whole thing. It's really good. Um, so, oh man, look at it. I'm going I'm I'm to end right on time. Well, a few minutes late. I apologize. Um, so in, in closing, I want to say this. I want to give you a tool to let our faith move from our head to our hands. Um, and so these tools, they let our character be made manifest in behavior. Um, so I've given this list before. Last time I gave this list, I didn't have it on a slide. I said it really fast and I got reprimanded by many of you. I do apologize. So this time I have a list of what are called the spiritual disciplines. So this is the list. And each one of these, these are tools. Remember, these don't impart salvation. This doesn't make us a, a better or worse Christian. This just helps direct our heart towards him, direct our mind towards him, that our actions might flow from it. So I'm gonna go through and read the list because I, I want you to hear it. I want you to see it. I want you to hear it. These are spiritual disciplines. Inward disciplines are Bible study, prayer, meditation, and fasting. Outward disciplines, service, solitude, submission, and simplicity. And then corporate, that's what we're in right now, right? This is a corporate discipline. Worship, celebration, confession, and guidance. And some of these words might be a little bit confusing to you. I'd love to go through word by word and just define the whole thing and give one sermon around each one, but that would be like a lot of time. So we're not gonna do all that. But if you have questions about any of them, please talk to me afterwards. But I do want to bring um, one of them to you. Sunday morning is a good space for all of us to be in. It helps develop us. But if this is the only space, you will not grow, all right? If you have a plant and you grow it once, you water it once a week, what do you think it's gonna do? It's not going to die. That's not what I want for your faith. That's not what you want for your faith, I'm expecting, right? You want to water it daily. You want to take, take time to cultivate in, in your heart and in your life disciplines that help us grow. It's the same as fertilizer, right? If we don't put fertilizer on a, on a plant, is it going to grow as well? No. If we don't water the plant, is it going to grow as well? No. Right? So, so these, these are just things that help us function in this way. Um, one of the things that I think is very important in, in the corporate discipline, guidance, the last one in the list. Guidance is really important because it helps us flow with all the other ones. What does guidance look like? I'm just going to give you a little bit. Guidance doesn't look like me guiding you right here on Sunday morning and you walking out of this space. It looks like a, a tight group a tight community that you walk alongside with. That might be a small group. That might just be a small group of people that you walk alongside with. I have a group of men that I, I walk tightly with. And do you know what they do? They help me with all of those other disciplines. They help me in growing in righteousness and making sure that I'm living out, thinking and living what Deuteronomy chapter four and chapter five and chapter six are leading us as believers to live out. So Sunday is not enough. Find people 
to do life with. Do not do it alone. You will not make it. Isolation, all it breeds is destruction. Do not isolate yourself. Find people, find community around you. So this morning, I want to close with this. That we would live our lives marked by one thing. And that one thing is radical submission to God. That should mark our life. Radical submission to God. When that is what marks our life, we don't have to worry about the mark of the beast. Study what it looks like to live radically submitted to him. A good place to start to find out what does it look like to live radically submitted to Jesus, Deuteronomy chapter four, chapter five, and chapter six. Okay? Church, I love you. And, and I hope that you are not gonna walk out of here in a space of thinking that I just like kind of beat you over the head a little bit. I want you to walk out of here with hope. With hope. Because we, we don't have to sit in a space where, what's No, no, no. It's laid out for us. Jesus went to the cross. He covered it all. Like, am I going to be able to do these perfectly? Am I going to be able to follow every law that's in here perfectly? No. No. Is anybody else in here? No. No. You know what we can do? We can submit to Christ as our Lord and Savior and what? And repent when we fall away. Daily, we pick up our cross. We crucify the flesh daily. So do that. Walk out of here encouraged that it's gonna be good. Revelation doesn't have to freak you out. Jesus wins. Read the end of the book. Like, like it's, it's okay to read the end. Sometimes people are like, don't read the end of the book. You might spoil it. Spoil it. It's great. It's great. Spoil this. Like it's, yeah, it, it, it gives us freedom because I don't have to be, oof, does Jesus win in the end? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's not even by like, oh man, he, oh, just by the skin of his teeth. It's a landslide. It's a landslide. All right, church, I love you. Thank you so much for being here today. And I pray that you walk out of this space encouraged that God's got it. He's won it. All we have to do is just say, Lord, I submit and work out our faith through fear and trembling. I love y'all church. Y'all have a great day.